This episode of the BlossyCast is presented by CF Dead. Celebrating this great city's history in style, on game days, take 5% off orders using the promo code BLASTY. Get your hands on cannons, rads, 88s, and plenty more gear from the guys at cfdead.ca. Check out their show, Tales from the Sea, and rep this city. everyone, welcome to another episode of the Blasticast with your hosts, myself, Noah Adler, Nate Thomas, and we want to welcome our our newest co-host to the Blasticast, Mr. Taryn Jode Vinning, aka Straight Out of Calgary. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well today. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice to, you know, wake up after a Flames win over the Oilers, and, you know, that, that always perks up the spirits a little bit, right? And uh, I know we were talking about doing this uh, last night after the game. I'm so glad we're actually doing it <laughs> just a little bit later. I would have been, I was wiped out last night. So, but uh, yeah, feeling good today. Same here. I just, uh, I just hopped off my online classes. So I like hopped right on right now. So yeah, I'm happy about the win, even though I couldn't really watch it because I had to cover a shift for my friend, but yeah, it's happy that we got the win and I, it's happy that it was against the Oilers, the Battle of Alberta. So, yeah. For sure. And, of course, I think as everyone heard me on the intro say that uh, Taryn Joe, a.k.a. Straight Out of Calgary, is our newest um, co-host of the Blossy cast. Taryn Joe, tell us about yourself about yourself a little bit here, bud. Uh, first off, uh, you know I had to rock the Iggy jersey for my debut. So there's that. And I have Blasty in the back, just for you, Noah. And uh, to introduce myself, uh, I'm currently in my last year of high school. Uh, I'm going to be heading to state with uh, Noah here in the fall. And uh, it's going to be fun. And yeah, uh, I I originally started my uh, page on Instagram about four years ago. Well, officially, it was first off, it was a personal account. But then now it's a full on like flames page. So yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember uh, I've been following you for the last uh, four years, and um, I gotta tell you, it's it's so amazing how much that page is growing since it's uh, since it first started. Um, keep up all the hard work on that page, man, and uh, and I can't wait to really get started with you at uh, RTBN in the fall. It's gonna be pretty exciting for the both of us. Um, I'm happy to join you. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great. Just before we dive into some of the topics uh, we're going to be discussing on today's episode, the Flames unfortunately had a uh, had a passing yesterday as uh, one of the original six owners of the team, uh, Byron J. Seaman, passed away at the age of 97. From some of the stories and research you guys have done about Byron J. Seaman, you know, what can you really, you know, talk about when it comes to his legacy here in Calgary? Well, I think really his legacy is this team being here and the one Stanley Cup that we have in uh, 1989, right? He, like... He is one of the original six members that brought the Atlanta Flames to Calgary that we are still talking about as the whole basis of this show, right? This show doesn't happen without that happening uh, so many years ago and that sort of thing. So, I mean, really, yeah, this team is his legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even uh, yesterday on the broadcast, they were I like watched the highlights again because I went over the game just to see what happened. And uh, it was it was cool to see uh, John Shannon saying that without the Flames, there are without Byron Seaman, there are no Flames, and how passionate he was about the team and stuff. And they 
uh, the Flames posted a picture like the day I think it was yesterday or the day before of him uh, kissing the cup and getting a drink out of the cup. It just showed the personality he was when he was one of the owners. And yeah, I think he he was a key role in uh, keeping the Flames here and uh, bringing the Flames here. So it's it's a tragic loss for the community. It definitely is, right? But I mean, ninety seven years old, like what a what a fantastic life yeah, that is. Lived. Like man, if <laughs> If he certainly did live, and you know what? If we're if we're all given, if we were all told that we were going to live up to ninety seven or hundred years old, I think we'd absolutely take that in a heartbeat, you guys. So never take life for granted at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll dive into some of the uh, topics here, and uh, we'll we'll go over last night's game against the Oilers. What did you guys see last night that really impressed you in that um, in that victory over Edmonton? Uh, I can let uh, Taryn Joe go first here on this one. Yeah, uh, from the highlights I watched, uh, I I was impressed with Ras. Uh, even like I checked the numbers after the game from uh, Natural Statric, and he he was seemingly up there in like uh, in in like most uh, I think it was Corsi for expected goals. I think he was up there uh, in the top like five or four, I believe. And uh, from what I watched, I I was impressed with Ras's game, and same with Mondrapani. I mean, Mondrapani has been impressing the whole season, so it's nothing new. Yeah, I'm taking a look at uh, HockeyViz.com, just taking a look at Calgary's even strength uh, shots and that sort of thing. We got a lot going on in the slot there. Uh, The three goals all coming from below those hash marks there, which is great to see. Not a whole lot of misses except for... Uh, looks like just Gaudreau and Giordano on uh, Mike Smith's left side there. Uh, but the one player that really stood out for me is obviously, you know, I believe he was the first star last night. And if he wasn't, that's a shame. Elias Lindholm, uh, you know, the guy is getting two, almost getting three. But Mike Smith had to pull out the glove on him, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, obviously great for this team. I believe this is a guy who can be the number one center that we keep talking about. Right. That's, you know, is able to work with Johnny Gaudreau. Similar to the way that Monaghan was able to before, but for some reason it's just not clicking anymore. I'm really liking that first line, I guess if that's what you want to call it now, of Lindholm, Gaudreau, and uh, Kachuk. It's, you know, for, I guess, what you would consider our stars. That is a star-studded lineup, uh, 100%. So, and yeah, so Lindholm, great for this team last night. Great for my fantasy team also getting me a couple goals there. <laughs> I think for me, I just I just love the way that they played against McDavid and Drysdale last night. Like, did you even notice McDavid or Drysdale once last night? Uh, the only time I noticed him was when he was trying to chokehold Nordstrom, or when uh, he got knocked. Or was it Nestrov? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or Nestrov, yeah, because he was <laughs> yeah. on that same play. Because yeah, McDavid's like, here, let me get a piggyback from you, and then Nestrov's like, get the hell off me. <laughs> but yeah, I I just felt like the way they. They contained McDavid and Drysdale when they were going up the offensive slot. I, I just think they did a really great job in doing that. And let's be honest, if you if you're stopping Connor McDavid and Leon Drysdale in a single game, the Oilers are not going to win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I believe this was the second or the third time this season that uh, the Flames have held Drysdale and McDavid pointless. Uh, that's and, right. Yeah, yeah and, and no other second. team has been able to do that this season. So I mean, that's a that's a pretty good accomplishment, I would say, on our part. But that being said, you know Saturday is going to be a completely different game, right? Because if McDavid doesn't score a point, especially after what he was getting like, he was like three points for the last five games, like each game, right? So he was on a he was on a roll. He was on a the guy was not even on a point per game pace. He was on a period per game, or yeah, like period or point per period pace, uh, which is just absolutely nuts. 
you know they got to really watch out for him on Saturday and shut him down even more if they want any chance to win on Saturday. For sure, yeah, because because you know if Connor McDavid is going to be out the score sheet one game, he's going to turn into a monster the next game. Like I think we we we're kind of we kind of have our jitters about that, but uh, I guess we shall wait to see what happens tomorrow. It always seems to be us that he does it too, as well, right? You notice that it's always yeah. like it's always whether we're the team that did it and then we play them again, yeah, yeah, yeah. or some other team, you know, held him like pretty low, like one point, let's say, and then it happens to be us the next game, right? So, yeah, like every time you see him go pointless or like with one point, the next game he drops like four to five. Yeah, exactly. It happened against us in the I think it was the seven three loss. Yeah, 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 seven yeah. one actually. Yeah, that was uh, that was a bad game. <laughs> <laughs> so, Flames four points back now of Montreal for that uh, fourth and final playoff spot in the North Division. After after last night's win, guys, um, where's your where's your confidence level still after last night? Is it still you know we're not we're still not going to make the playoffs regardless? I mean you know if you keep winning and Montreal loses, there still could be a a chance. Like where where are you guys' confidence level still at at this point? Well, I mean a team that you know did something maybe similar to what we're trying to attempt here uh, was just a couple of years ago in the Colorado Avalanche, and they steamrolled us through the first round, right? So. Hopefully we can pick up that sort of momentum here. And it seems like we're kind of feeling that right now. Just everything's finally decided to click a little bit more. Um, you know, Markstrom is back to playing Markstrom-type hockey under a Daryl Sutter system, right? Because that was that was kind of the big thing. He was injured, and during that time was the transition from Ward to Sutter. It's a new system. Sutter's very defensive, whereas Markstrom, uh, like Ryan Leslie was saying on a, a couple episodes ago, right? Markstrom likes the shots, but Sutter is very defensive with uh, his systems right so it's trying to find that happy medium there and I think they might have found it right now uh, or it's at least seeming that way so I'm hopefully optimistic and if we can you know do something like this and carry it into a playoff berth I hope it just continues from there because it would really be flamesy to you know have this amazing run you know we're this far out of the playoffs make it and get swept or you know losing five to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And honestly, I think I would rather that matchup than the Winnipeg Jets or the Edmonton Oilers, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I I lost hope like a week ago. I mean, it's nothing new, but I think with the way they played last night and like they have been the last couple of games, like the Ottawa game, sure, we didn't win that. I mean, the Montreal game on Monday, I'm uh, sure we didn't win, but it was closer than people thought. And then we were basically controlling the game and it just fell apart with like the last 10 minutes left in the third and uh we just couldn't regain our regain our speed and our like strength in the ozone and the neutral zone and they just beat us at our own game per se and i think uh i think we can make it if we keep playing like we are but it's going to be very tight going down the stretch because like also our schedule is pretty it's it's pretty weird because after we play Edmonton on Saturday, we have a three-day, three-game, three-day break, and then we versus Winnipeg, then another three-day break, and then Ottawa, then we have a two-day break, then Vancouver back to back. So it's going to be hard. Yeah, I'm hoping because uh, they were comparing the Montreal schedule, and we have quite a few more days to finish the same amount of games than the Montreal Canadiens do. I'm really hoping that it doesn't become a thing of, you know, like when we have a break or that sort of thing, like we saw at the beginning of the season, we were on a roll. We suddenly had that week off and it, that's when it kind of started to fall apart. 
I'm really hoping that we can more take advantage of the, you know, extra day off, extra two days off in between there just to be able to rest and be ready to go for each game because whether, you know, we like it or not, the Flames like it or not, every game is a playoff game at this point, so... I think the entire 56 game season has been um, has been a playoff game, but uh, yeah, I, I think the only thing I will say, you know, at this point is, I mean, the Flames would have to go eight and zero in this in, in the down this stretch to make the playoffs, and they would need Montreal to finish like horribly in the next like seven games here in order to miss the playoffs. Because even if the Flames went eight and zero and Montreal relatively played some 500 hockey down the stretch Montreal would still make the playoffs like they would do it I think by points percentage would that be correct I uh, don't remember how they would weight it though I, I yeah, don't remember off the top of my head I think it might be points percentage but taking a look at the last 10 which is a it's a pretty good way to judge a team just how they're doing right now right and that's a reason that it you know it's on the NHL app and everything like that too there is a bit of a difference there that could easily help the Montreal Canadiens are four six and zero in their last ten, whereas it's flipped for the Calgary Flames six four and zero. Yeah, yeah. I still think I still think you know like I'll and let me be clear. I would love to be wrong about this. I still don't think the Flames will make the playoffs. I, I just think you know you know expecting them to win you know their next seven after last night against Edmonton. That's still a huge ask to go eight and zero down in the final eight games to just to get to the playoffs. So I think that that's something that you can't exactly ask about them. And I think it's something that let's be honest, this team crumbles. I mean, this core players crumble under pressure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Every time. So, you know, why should we expect that it's going to be any different this time around? Yeah, that's the thing. I think, uh, I think with the, the core of the players, I'm not trying to blame it on everyone, but, I just think this year it's a complete different story than how they played last year and how the core works together. I just don't see them gelling together anymore. And if let's just say we make the playoffs, what are we going to do at that point? Even if, even if we move on, or even if we like, let's just say it gets swept by Toronto or like even Winnipeg, what are we doing? What are we going to do in the off season? We're going to have to blow it up either way. Yeah. I, I, I definitely don't disagree on that because it's like, you know, what's even like, that's even my, you know, argument too, is what's even the point, yeah. right? If like, you know, you're going to get in and then just get swept by Toronto. I mean, but then again, these are the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? But it, even so, I mean, this is a better Leafs team this season where you kind of have confidence that they can win a round or two. And another thing too, is if Toronto doesn't win a round, that's a team that probably should blow up and fire everybody in that organization. But in all seriousness, like my question at this point is, what's even the point of making the playoffs when you know that you're probably going to get destroyed by the Leafs or even McDavid and the Oilers? So, it, it so it's so it'll be pretty interesting the next uh, little while here. But I will ask this question, and it's a sort of a topic on the group chat I had mentioned you guys to save your answers for. Do you guys believe that a culture shift needs to happen in this organization in the summer? I'll let Nate go first. I would like to say yes. Um, you know, I don't know how much of it, say, for like the leadership or that sort of thing. But, um, you know, like Mark Giordano has been great for us. And I really hope my uncle doesn't share some of my thoughts with him because 
weirdly enough, I, and I got reminded of this a little while ago, he is friends with him and Lucic and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's just for, yeah, for some reason it's just not there. Right. For Giordano, it seems as a leader, you know, both on like on the ice, off the ice and just his play, you know, is taking another bit of a dip down. Right. And that kind of brings the team down a little bit with it too. Uh, we still don't know if anything was said to Matthew Kachuk after the Toronto puck flip there. And what was that game 11 that kind of made yep. everything spiral out of control. Right. So, and you know, if that is the thing, if, and if that comes out, that did happen, right. That makes you question the entire leadership group. I think at that point, right. Especially when, yeah, you know, it's, it's Giordano, his plays falling down. Michael Backlund is still Michael Backlund. I would say, right. There's not a whole lot of change from him, but you don't really hear him, speaking out too much or that sort of thing like he's a pretty he's a reserved leader i would say which isn't always a bad thing uh and sean monahan is you know sean monahan he can put up the points when he decides he wants to and that sort of thing but uh other than that like you know even just down to press conferences right the guy just feels like he would rather be anywhere else like i feel like this guy would want to watch paint dry instead of you know answer some <laughs> uh some questions that you know is part of his job right and uh, you know, and it's the same, like, it's the cliche of the, oh, we got to get pucks in deep and everything like that. But Sean Monaghan epitomizes that, uh, that cliche, I think, because it is the same answers every single time, no matter what the question is. And it's always just monotone and that sort of thing. There's no emotion, it feels like, in this guy. And maybe it's just something that doesn't really get conveyed outwardly. I'm sure he, I'm, I would hope that he feels it inside. But yeah, there's just something not quite there. And then, you know, Matthew Kachuk, whatever happens this season, right? He, you know, I, I believe he can have a bounce back season, right? It's one year we've seen so many good years out of him already. Like what? He's, yeah. He's been for, for around for four years. We've had three really good seasons out of him, right? This doesn't leave me to believe that, you know, he's on the decline already or that sort of thing and whatnot. So, um, but I would like to see a little bit of a change up in some way or another, as much as it may hurt, it might be Mark Giordano going to Seattle potentially, right. Or at least being exposed to that idea. And, you know, maybe even just the exposure for Mark Giordano might be like, as much as he's going into his last year, might retire after just, okay, I got to get going here because I'm the captain of this team and I got exposed. Um, I was, I agree with you there. I, I think the leadership does need to change. Uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily blaming it on Gio as well, but I think it's, it, we do need a culture change because it, it's been far too long. Like how long, like when we first made the playoffs after the drought in, uh, 14, 15, I even told Noah about this. I think, I think that's what rooted, uh, the downfall of this team and the core. It's just that we, we were in a rebuild in 13, 14. That's when they like officially it started when Iggy got traded and Kipper retired. And then the 13, 14 season happened. And then of course, 14, 15, but I think they like after the 14, 15 run, I think they rushed way too quick into thinking that this core can contend for years to come. I mean, at that point, yeah, sure. We were optimistic with the core, but now it's just like, if that 14-15 run wouldn't happen, I feel like we'd be, in a, we'd be in a completely different spot and we wouldn't be having these conversations. And it's not even just on the leadership, I would say. It is also upstairs in the management, right? I'm I'm honestly not sure how I feel about Bradshaw Living going past this summer. He's great at his drafting and everything like that, but we haven't seen what I think 
after uh, this past trade deadline, that's only four in-season trades that this guy has made, uh, to my recall, at least. And the biggest one was Oscar Fantenberg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and like, you know, what? sometimes just giving a little bit too much, even for the guy like Curtis Lazar, right, as a second-round oh, yeah. pick. And, uh, you know, Travis Hamanick was understandable at the time, not an in-season trade, right? But, you know, that was a guy that, you know, was helping us for quite a while, I would say. Um, but yeah, you know, just maybe even a culture shock upstairs. Right. And, um, I talked about this with, uh, with Brad on flames unfiltered when I, uh, had, uh, had gone on there, but you know, he was kind of asking me as well about like the GM and that sort of thing. And if like, if there was somebody I would want to replace him with, who might it be? I said, you know, who's got been a guy who was waiting in the wings for quite a while and mm-hmm. who could be a culture shock. And it does kind of, it does kind of make it a little bit of a boys club, but you know, somebody who has a relationship with Daryl Sutter that has been built on not championship ways, but winning ways, Craig Conroy. Mm-hmm. I'll let Noah dive in. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day, R2C2, uh, with CC Sabathia, and they had Jorge Posada on the show. And it's it, it, yeah, I mean this this could be relatable to what we're talking about. This may not be. Those Yankee teams in the late nineties, you know what they were? They were a one way group, and you know what that one way group was? Winning. And it's the problem I have is that for the last like twenty five years or so, what ownership has been doing has not worked. It has not worked. And a lot of what they've done has kept them in the middle for as long as we've been in. And you need a culture that cares about only one thing and one thing only, winning the Stanley Cup every single year. Because in the 1980s, when this team was in its heyday, that was the only thing that mattered, was winning the Stanley Cup. And it's felt like to me for the last 25 years with this organization They have run it like a business. And that could be due to a lot of different things, like when the dollar was down and they didn't know at that point what was going to happen after the Jets and Nordiques left. But I'm not saying ownership doesn't 100% not care about winning, but you just feel like there's not enough of that. Like you need guys who absolutely despise to lose. Like you just do not have enough of that in this organization whatsoever. I think the big thing with ownership is, you know, they, you know, there's always the thing of money can't buy happiness or that sort of thing, but it can definitely help you win. Right. And I'm taking a look just up the road at uh, Edmonton just over the last few years. Right. Maybe not to say that he doesn't deserve it, but in respect of trying to get the rest of the team going, investing in your major players in Connor McDavid, making $12 million a year, uh, Dry Sidles making what eight, and that looks like a really that's like a, that's a steal of a contract right now. Um, but then you know, even to the guys running the show, right? You bring in a experienced coach with a, some pedigree in Dave Tippett. You bring in Ken Holland, right? Who is and is a great GM. He prolonged things in Detroit maybe a little bit too long, but you know he kept that team to a like a world record for 
consecutive postseason mm-hmm. appearances in professional 25. sports. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah, it's not just hockey. That's football. That's soccer, both in North America and overseas. Right? Like, it's absolutely nuts. But you know, you put in some money into trying to make that winning, those winning ways, and you can actually do it because I'm looking at the standings right now. Edmonton sitting in second spot with 60 points in 48 games. Whereas, you know, we're at 47 right now at 49 games because we didn't want to pay for a coach this summer and we got Jeff Ward, right? Now, again, not to put that all on him, but definitely didn't help our situation whatsoever, right? Well, and the one thing I'll say too is that um, I think you guys might have known this rumor already, but they were looking at bringing back Daryl this past summer as well after the bubble. But Daryl, I think at that point said that he wasn't quite ready to come back at that point as well but so they probably so when you think about it, jeff ward wasn't necessarily their first choice and i i but he was their only interview by the sounds of it which is also a little concerning considering the last time they only had interviewed one guy it was uh uh oh wow uh i was gonna say bill peters but glenn gulson too geez like why do, why do we only interview one guy right especially when there's more available bruce boudreaux Gerard Gallant. I don't know what has happened with Gallant in Vegas and Florida, but you know he brings whatever team he's doing together, right? Like that Florida team wasn't great at the time, right? But that was a team that made the postseason, and I was actually rooting for it at the time, right? He took a Vegas team that had never played together outside of uh, James Neal and Marc Andre Fleury, and yeah, and took him to the finals, right? Like imagine what a guy like that could do to a team that is almost there together at this point right just to give that extra step to really bring them together imagine what this team could do right because we do have some great pieces in guys like johnny gaudreau elias lindholm uh matthew kachuk but even going down the line to majapani uh dube right going on the back end you got chris tanev now you got noah hannafin who is playing like the guy that we originally sought after right like there are the pieces here i think it's just trying to get everybody to be on the same page I just think uh, we have the pieces, but you could also, you could go both ways in the argument. You could blame it on the pieces. You could blame it on the coaching staff. You could blame it on the management. But what I think it comes to is I think we've like the coaching changes. The, the last time a coaching change worked with the flames was when Bob Hartley was the coach. And I think ever since we just haven't, the coaching staff just have, hasn't been able to, uh bring in those players as one group i think it's i from my inference of what's happening inside the organization i think the locker room looks to be divided in a way man i miss hartley honestly i loved having him as a coach and the guy just won a khl championship overseas man yeah I, i miss hartley honestly and i love the way that he thought about just the season in general right and you know was very open with it of you know split it into playoff series essentially right you win four of seven games in the regular season and continue that on, you're going to make it. You're already in that mindset, right? I really enjoyed him. And I would love to, like, if that was the guy that we brought back, not to say I'm not enjoying Sutter or anything like that, right? But it felt a little bit more, in retrospect, it felt a little bit more like a nostalgia grab, a little bit to bring Daryl back. Mm-hmm. So it's it's starting to work out now, finally, but... I would have, you know, liked to see somebody like that come back maybe who, you know, he was doing well. He won the Jack Adams with us, right? And the next he played he coached one more season for us and then got fired. I don't even remember what the reason was for, but I can imagine it was pretty stupid. 
There are a lot of problems in that locker room, I think, though, too, with Hartley, yeah, right? Because yeah. there are a lot of like uh, players who didn't like playing for the guy and stuff. But I, I'm with you guys, too. I do miss Bob Hartley. I do wish that, uh, in a sense, he was our coach. And, I mean, I love Daryl, let's be honest. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, there's times also where you, you know, you would love to have Hartley back here in Calgary. But I think for me, I think Daryl Sutter... I think bringing back Daryl Sutter was still the right decision personally for me because this is a guy who can get the best of the players. He's a guy that, yeah, he's going to absolutely test the limits with players, but I think it's the only way that you can really take that next step, in my opinion, and give Daryl Sutter all of next year. There may be a chance things work out better next year, but 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 I think, again, comes down to the fact that you need a good built around team to do to be able to accommodate that basically right and it all comes back to the feet of management that they've not built this team the way they've wanted to build this team now let me ask you guys this question about number 19 matthew kachuk he's had a very tough year but this is a sort of a discussion that's been going around lately if jack Gugu were to be available and the buffalo sabers were to say to the flames management Okay, we'll offer you Jack Eichel, but you have to give us number 19 in the package. Are you doing that package? I'll let Nate go first. Oh, man. I'm not doing it. Because up until game 11, this guy was one of your emotional heart and soul guys. This is a guy that this team needs and needs to return to that form, right? So that's, and I mean, you know, when he's on it, he's on it. Not just on the emotional side, but he's putting up the points to back it up too, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm 50-50 on that as well. Cause like, I I don't want to trade him just for the sake of it. But I think if a, if a package like Eichel comes up in like the off season or even when, I think it should be considered. But personally, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole because I, I, I do believe that Kachuk is that voice in the locker room that we've never had in a while. And I think he is that prominent role. But after uh, Nate said, like, before game 11, he was like the heart and soul of the team. And now it's just it just fell apart. And I don't I don't have the answers. But to me, it just looks like something either went on or I don't know. He just doesn't feel like it or he's injured. I don't know. That's the only conclusion you can come up to. I think going for a guy like Jack Eichel is similar to the Toronto Maple Leafs acquiring John Tavares. You're putting in that final piece or what you think might be that final major piece that is going to bring you a Stanley Cup. With that, you don't want to eliminate a part that is also going to do that. At that point, I think you're getting rid of draft picks prospects because you think you're at that point Hmm. (laughs) some very very great points made guys um and while i agree with that that matthew kachuk is that voice we need in the locker room let me ask this question what was the last time the flames had an elite number one center since joey newendijk that's really yep. it. Correct. 25 years and plus. I'd argue the closest thing we've had to that number one center is Elias Lindholm this season. And I'm liking it so far. Well, fair. I will just say this. 
you look at the past decade of Stanley Cup winners, you know what those all those teams have had in common? An elite number one center, an elite number one goalie, and an elite number one defenseman. I think the Flames have got two of those, and a defenseman and a goalie, but they don't have that in the center. And that has been something that's been lacking for a quarter of a century now, since Jerome McGinley arrived here in 1995. And, and, well, I mean, Iggy did have a number one center, but you trade him for basically nothing and that kind of thing, and probably one of the worst returns you could ever get. And all due respect to Craig Conroy and Damon Lankow, but they were great complimentary centers, but they weren't elite number one guys who can get you over the top and win you a Stanley Cup. And I think with Johnny Gaudreau, he needs that guy right now. He needs it as much as anything before. And I think what this season has proven, you guys, is that Sean Monaghan has been carried by Johnny Gaudreau. That Johnny Gaudreau has been the driver on that line throughout the last seven years that they've been together. And it, it just it, it has not worked the last year and a half. I'm not saying you just trade Sean Monaghan for the sake of trading him, but I think you have to you have to really start looking for that guy for Johnny Gaudreau. I mean, Elias Lindholm could become that guy from within, but I think if Jack Gutko is available, I, I think you're listening to a Matthew Kachuk, um, Matthew Kachuk, Jack Gutko trade. But because... Because who? Because I'll ask this question as well, and you guys can answer this too, right? Who is this team's most valuable trade asset right now? Hmm. I think. I think it. I mean, Gaudreau coming off like he just has one year on that contract. I think he. I think he is that asset. But at this at this point, I don't want to trade him. But. I think the most expendable asset would have to be Geo and Monahan, but I just don't think the value is there. And the with the most value, I think we could get something for Gaudreau, but it'd have to be a hockey deal. Yeah, I think if, uh, say, you're going for a Jack Eichel type, Monahan and prospects. So Because if you're going for that big fish, right, you, I don't think you feel the need to have those high picks anymore because you feel confident in what you have. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think I think the one thing for me is that the reason that that Matthew Kachuk would probably have to be included in the Jack Eichel trade is because you're talking about sort of that high ceiling, sort of around that same area, you know, value coming back, right? And I think the Buffalo Sabres would see Matthew Kachuk as sort of, I mean, Jack, I mean, they know very well as much as anyone that they're not going to win a Jack Eichel trade, regardlessly of who they of who they acquire back for Eichel. So, and I think if the if you were the Flames, I think Matthew Kachuk would be sort of first on that first on that list to be trained for Jack Eichel. Like, again, let me be clear, folks. I am a number 19 guy, and 100% I'm against the trade in any other sort of trade scenario. But with Jack Eichel, I'm, I'd am be for it because you're, again, a number one, an elite number one center back for, for Jack Eichel, and those guys do not come on the market very often. Yeah, that is true. And that's something the Flames have been lacking for the last quarter of a century. Yeah, it's something I would like for like Kachuk to be gone. It's not something I would like to see. Both 
you know, like for the team analytically, everything like that. But also I'm holding out on getting a player on my jersey until I see Kachuk with a C on his chest. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, I, that's why I haven't gotten a number on my Belasti yet either. I'm just waiting until something happens because next thing you know, I get a number on my jersey and next thing you know, that player's flipped yeah. for some other player and I'm just like, okay, I can't do anything about that. I kind of wanted to make mine unique, so I got Marchum on the back. That's a pretty good one, I would say. And that's a guy that's not going to leave in like five years. No, no, I, I, do, I definitely don't think so. I, I definitely, with Jacob Marchum, I don't think there's any way you can move out that contract. Yeah, what I was saying for, uh, I mean, the Blasty jersey as well, but uh, like all the other reverse retros and people trying to decide, you know, oh, what player do I get and that sort of thing. Um, I was saying, you know, wait until you see either who's actually in the lineup wearing that jersey because it does look weird. Like, uh, like with the cool hockey mystery jerseys, there was a couple. I saw Ben Bishop, uh, the Dallas Stars ones, but he never wore the jersey. He hasn't played a game this season, right? So that's a little bit odd there. Um, so I was saying either, you know, wait to see who's on the lineup or pick the guy who scores first wearing that jersey, right? So for the Blasty jersey, might be Dylan Dubé, right? Um, or, you know, whoever's the goalie at like who starts that game, right? Which was Jacob Markstrom. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely considering getting a uh, Monge on my jersey though. Cause that guy is just, a, I mean, yeah. as a, I forget that I, I forget the user on Twitter, but as he said, he's a stud muffin, stud muffin. <laughs> yep. Was that in the dome that posted that or? I, I don't remember if I'm being honest. There's just way too many people on Twitter to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it is, it is though you guys such a fascinating conversation with, you know, what you do this off season. And another question I'm going to bring up in regards to the uh, expansion draft talk is, would you consider exposing Michael Backlund at the expansion draft? Because here's the one argument I'll make to that. Michael Backlund hasn't really been the Michael Backlund of the last couple of years this season, from what I have noticed. And I think you you move out that contract before he really, really starts to, to regress. Do you try to move it out though for nothing, or do you try to move it for something in return? You try to you try to you try to get you try to get a good return back for for that. For okay, background. so I don't think you're exposing him then to the draft. I think you're trying to make a well part of it too. Yeah, so, side deal. Sorry, I, I probably should I probably should be more clear on 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 the on this part. So it's like. Like, would you rather get something back for Michael Backlund, or would you have no problem basically exposing him to? Seattle? I'd try getting something back. Yeah, I'd rather try to get something back. So, um, I'm just pulling up cap friendly here. The guy doesn't have a terrible deal, honestly. 32 years old. He's got four more years on it, but he then becomes a UFA. Uh, 5.35 million, and he the guy can put up points, right? He's a he's a good middle six guy for sure. So and. Like I said, he's kind of a quiet leader, like a reserved leader, but he can be that voice if he needs to. So, mm-hmm. I think I think if you're gonna do a deal with Backlund, I think it'd be a side deal to Seattle because like you'd wanna. I mean, with the with the contract and geo aging, I think that's the player you'd want Seattle to take. And then if you're trying to move a contract off to get a player in the offseason, I think you'd 
work a Michael Backlund deal on the side for something in, in, in exchange. That being said, though, I'm not sure, even if you expose Mark Giordano, if he'll be the guy who's taken, it might just be some lower level prospect that isn't going to be a huge hit on us, right? Because all of our other prospects that are the promising guys, they haven't played the NHL games or anything like that, right? And, um, you know, we have a couple of the young guys on this club, but we've kind of covered them already, right? And like Rasmus Anderson. So I don't, we don't really actually have too much of a worry this come this time around again which is kind of nice actually uh last time i remember uh from the vegas from the vegas expansion draft we ended up protecting curtis lazar <laughs> i <Yeah>. don't know why <laughs> i mean they they took Derek england who you know was was a tough guy for us and was another kind of heart and soul type guy but really became that in las vegas you know being the, his hometown and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary actually on that first Vegas season on uh, on Amazon. It's a great watch. I do suggest you go and check it out. Um, and it does really dive into, you know, the shooting just before the season started. And uh, especially with Derek England, that being his home, right? And just, you know, really rallying the rest of the team around that and that sort of thing. Uh, he became a huge contributor for them. And, um, you know, he wasn't... There was a kind of a couple toss-ups in that first season of who would be the captain, and you know they didn't name one until this year in Mark Stone. Uh, but Derek Anglin easily could have been one just for the leadership qualities that he brought to that team. So he'd basically be that. Uh, who's that player on the Panthers that was a captain and he was like he was like a fourth line player? I forget his name, but it was like a couple of years ago. Uh... I don't remember his name. Uh, but yeah, regardless of that, uh, I think. I think uh, Anglin, like we all remember that speech he made on opening night when it was after the shooting and that, and that speech was heartfelt as well. Um, I just think with that pick, it was safe for us as well. Cause like guys, like I think in that uh, expansion draft, I think we left, uh, I think we, we didn't protect like guys like Stajan or Brower, not saying they're not saying they were key pieces, but let's just say they took one of them. I think it'd leave a big hold. We wouldn't really have anybody to cover that in the bottom six. And Stajan was reliable in the bottom six that year. And not, not really, I'm not, I'm not trying to take shots at Brower, but the Brower play, I, it would have been safer <laughs> to take him there. Well, I was going to say, didn't, didn't we buy him out that summer? Or was it the summer after? Yeah, it was that summer. It was the summer, summer after. after. Yeah. Yeah. I was just a few days after Jerome McGinley Day. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So I believe to myself that um, the more I think about it, the more I think that if you leave Geo exposed, I think you could be taken by Seattle because you start to think about sort of like the leadership qualities he can bring to a new team and sort of be that veteran presence for the locker room. Like I, I think Seattle, I, I don't think Seattle would be hesitant in taking them. The only issue, yeah, the only issue that you're going to run into is if you're the Calgary Flames, is if Giordano is willing to give up his no yeah. trade or his no move. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, we all know that Lucic is from the rumors we've heard, and like, because uh, hearing that the original condition was that he had to waive his uh, no move clause for the expansion draft, and that's correct. Uh, he had to, he, in exchange for the Flames to acquire him, that's one of the conditions they put forth. Uh, put forward and i think that's a no issue for lucic but 
I think it does come down come down to Geo wanting to leave Calgary or not. Okay, I'm going to throw a question to you guys here, just as we're on the expansion draft talking, bringing up Lucic there. If he is exposed, is that a guy you think Seattle would go after? Nah, I don't. I, I don't think so though. There's way better players that we'd leave uh, unprotected than Luch. That's. Fair. I mean, no one would take that contract either. So. That's fair. I don't think so either. Yeah, you you kind of brought it up already. I don't think he like they would just because of that contract, right? And that no trade would carry over to them. But you know, it's only a, what two more years, I think, after that or something like that. Um, but I also would actually be a little bit disappointed, honestly. Like, I I have actually liked Milan Lucic. I know I made a few tweets earlier in the year of like, oh my god, like what's he doing and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I realized here, more after here. that was more just because of Jeff Ward's utilization of him rather than Milan Lucic's play himself. So. I, I actually have really liked that acquisition. It's kind of worked out for us, especially this year. Milan or uh, James Neal, you know, the real deal, who only scored his fourth goal of the year this season, uh, just last night, right? He's been scratched and everything like that, right? And, you know, Lucic has become, in a weird way, one of the faces of the franchise. So, <laughs> yeah, I was one of the, I I overhyped Neal. I was, I was hyped about it in the offseason. I was like, let's go. The real deal is here. And then, Next thing you know, he just puts up a stinker that year. And it's just like, who is this guy? We didn't pay him like 5.25 million just for that. Yeah, I was excited for him too. But then, you know, just hearing all the kind of the back door, like they're like the locker room type stuff. I'm just like, no, get him out of here. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard, I think I saw a clip, but I just, I, I just couldn't find it again. I think it got deleted, but it was, uh, it was Neil and uh, it was Neil and Peters going at it in a practice. I, I just, oh I, yeah, I remember I, that. Too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was Neil and Peters going at, at it. And then I'm just like, I, I kind of did have a feeling he was that type of guy that you just didn't want in the locker room that year, especially how good the Flames were. And I just think he just wasn't, he, he just didn't work out. I, I don't think it would have worked out either way. He didn't fit. He didn't fit the culture for sure. Yeah. I think that's I, one thing. And I think it was part of the thought that, you know, it's it was James Neal, especially at the time, right? The guy, you know, just went to the Stanley Cup finals and goals. you know he yeah he's consistent 30 goal scorer for the most part right so he's expecting those first line minutes and you know in walks Elias Lindholm on the back of uh, Noah Hannafin right not really expecting you know Lindholm to become a thing but he just kind of took the reins and Neil wasn't really happy about that so and uh especially after it was last season I think it was during all the Kachuk and Cassian oh, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and Neil had some words that I'm like okay this is more than just oh you're backing up your Oilers team at this point there is some deep resentment there and even I think it, I think it was a live against I think it was a live with Leslie during quarantine last year and I think it was uh Ras on live and i think he i think he said something about neil i remember i remember that, I remember that. Yep. yeah yeah he said something about neil but i just don't remember anymore but yeah i i, I just think it, he he didn't gel at all because like with with the chirp that Ras laid on him i i just think he wasn't that personality in the locker room that anybody liked yeah yeah he wasn't no i definitely he def, he definitely wasn't i think uh i think he definitely was a cancer in that locker room that season i think for sure like he only kept telling the team back and like look at the play he made in game four in overtime like <laughs> like what the heck was that like it was, it was... i always see the memes till this day it's just the picture where he's frozen in the middle of the ice and it's just like 
ranting it right there. <laughs> yeah, it looked. It was so lazy that play. Like, oh my god! Like, what was he doing on that play? Like, holy god! Yeah, yeah. One way player, but uh, still one of my favorite things of James Neal though was um, was the the memes after the expansion <laughs> draft for Vegas. And it was James Neal in a Jeep with the Stanley Cup seat belted beside him. <laughs> and it's like pulling up to Marc-Andre Fleury's house. Get in, bitch. We're going to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. The memes are endless with most of these players, especially yeah. Neal. And it makes it fun for Twitter content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see what happens with the expansion draft, you know, too. Because, I, I mean, there, it's going to be... Um, I think we can agree on this as well as that. I think this offseason is going to be probably the most critical long-term for this organization without a shot of a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Our own, our own moves, the Seattle expansion drafts, the upcoming draft, right? Which, um, you know, you saw a lot of draft picks going this trade deadline like you normally do, but they're normally for the upcoming draft. You're seeing a lot for yeah. 2022 because yeah, scouts don't really know actually what to expect out of this year so there's a lot of wild cards here outside of maybe the top three ranked right just because there's been so little hockey played both overseas and here right like looking at our own whl we're not going to have playoffs you know scouts are going to have to go off of 24 games that you're playing the same four or five teams right and so. most of these scouts couldn't even go see them in person at all they just have to watch them on like a laptop yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so you're getting the same view as, you know, anybody else watching. You're not able to be there and concentrate on that one guy. Uh being from Medicine Hats and you know, that's like like a lot of, you know, the junior ranks, right? They're pretty pretty small and that sort of thing, but especially growing up in the old arena there, you could pick out the scouts pretty quickly and they were always up by my section and you could actually tell who they were actually looking out for. It's much more discreet here from like all the Hitman game I've been to. It's like they all sit in the press box so you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. Yeah, I, st I still remember, I think it was, I was in grade 11 and I stood bes beside a scout and I just talked to him. Like, <laughs> like as he was doing his job, but he's just like telling me what he's looking for and everything like that. So what was that convo like? <laughs> uh, it was interesting for sure. I mean... You know, grade 11 me standing next to a guy wearing a suit and whatnot talking about, you know, whoever he's about to pick up. But it was weird, man. There was a lot of people that I met in that uh, in that old Medicine Hat arena uh, from that scout. I don't even remember who he was, like who the game was or who he was looking out for or anything like that. But, you know, talking to him, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, he was an Oilers prospect for a while and I think went to Arizona, Kale Kessie. Um, I became friends with Familiar. his parents. Yeah, I, I became friends with his parents actually, and um, I I don't know if it's still up, but I know I did a drawing of him that his parents told me that he actually got framed and hung in his room and that sort of stuff. And uh, I mean, even to a bit of a name drop here, a guy like Trevor Linden. Uh, my dad grew up with him, was friends with him, and everything like that. And so uh, yeah, I just remember him like texting me, "Hey, we're gonna just leave, leave a couple minutes early, beat the rush." And I was like, "Okay, sure." And so I, I leave my friend group and go to meet up with my dad. And he's like, hey, before we uh, before we go, there's somebody I want you to meet here. And uh, he just like taps this guy on the shoulder. Hey, Trev. And just stands up. This guy is two steps below me and he's still taller than me. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's Trevor Linden. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's crazy though. But like, honestly, I, I think it's just like, I mean, me and Noah, we've grown up here and it's it's the saddle dome. I, I just I don't know how, how that feeling would be in growing in like a small town like 
you it, it's just tight knit as like because like I, I don't know if it's true but like you mostly know the people around you like whereas in calgary it's just like do i know you do i know you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and especially with junior hockey right like all the tigers growing up like i went to high school with them i was in their classes and everything like that like even to uh like an old prospect for us nick schneider nick schneider he went to my high school right like he was in my buddy's math class and yeah it's just yeah it like you said it's a lot smaller and that sort of thing even going to like the original tigers to kind of bring it back to the flames talk a little bit like my uh like my grandpa's brother was best friends with lenny mcdonald so when we went to my great-grandfather's funeral i think i was like seven years old or that sort of thing uh there's lenny mcdonald there and that's how i got to meet him so a little bit of odd circumstances but it's kind of kind of cool just like that small town does connect you in different ways so mm-hmm. i still think i still think even when you're walking around calgary right because because i walked all the way from uh from here martyr down oh, yeah. to the dome and i ended up running into pat um near the dome as well i still think even here in calgary it's still a very small world as well where yeah you you live in like the inner part of calgary whereas i'm like the outskirts so like it's much more different yeah every now and then you still run into somebody in a in a city as big as calgary right like i'm even thinking back to our first time meeting noah's my first time to calgary in like a year and a half with the pandemic going on and everything like that and i Mm -hmm. happen to run into you as you're getting the blasty jersey done up with markstrom it was just like (laughs) was that noah oh shit it was Yeah, uh, that happened to me at a mall. I, I was just I was just casually shopping and uh, I happened to run into Mike Soroka. I'm like, I, I remember this dude's face. And then I look up, I'm like, oh, shit, it's him. <laughs> and then I, it was so awkward. Like, uh, I, I just said, are you Mike Soroka? He's like, yeah. And then I gave him a backhand handshake. I was like, oh, that, was, that, was that was really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was awkward oh my god that's <laughs> I great was just like, okay. <laughs> uh so now d- i can see i had an awkward awkward handshake with a cy young candidate <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i love that oh man um just before we start to think about wrapping up here gentlemen uh do you guys have anything um else to add topics wise or think i'm good here uh, not off the top of my head all right i guess uh i guess we shall uh, start to wrap up here for episode number 20 if i am correct um and we will see you guys on episode number 21 nate taron jot have yourself a good day you guys yeah thanks you Noah. too as you would say have a blasty day <laughs> just, just about to get to that part and that will officially wrap us up for episode number 20 of the blasty cast with your hosts Myself, Noah Adler, Nate Thomas, and Taryn Joad Vinning. I hope you all have a blasty day. Uh-huh.